1: Welcome to the Real estate strategies podcast where we host in-depth conversations on everything real estate with the industry's biggest movers and shakers. I'm your host Ken McElroy joined by my co-host Daniil. Let's get right into this episode
0: Welcome to the Ken McElroy show I'm your host Danielle here with Ken
1: Happy Monday everybody
0: Happy New Year's everybody no. So today we're going to be discussing uh, the best real estate investments to make to 10x your money this year.
1: It's a very important time, guys. It's uh, please listen to this one. Uh, We did a lot of research on this one. There's some really good ideas here.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I always <laughs> notice when I say that now because one of our uh, subscribers pointed out I say that a lot. So there's a
1: drinking game actually <laughs> for deal <Daniil. laughs> It's called definitely. Every time she says definitely, uh, people drink. Now it is in the here. It's in the morning. So
0: oh, it's funny. Um, yeah. This weekend we went to a pajama party for New Year's.
1: Yeah, I didn't drink. That was great watching everybody slowly get drunk, but that was fun.
0: Yeah, it was definitely fun. Definitely.
1: Definitely. I,
0: <laughs> all right. So let's just hop in today. <laughs> okay. Because it's, it's all going sideways. Yes, so. it is. <laughs> Quickly. Um, anyways, people want to know how to make money in real estate for 2022. We've put together a great list. It's everything on here from people um, that are very advanced, that have a lot of cash savings, to those of you that are just starting that maybe have no cash savings. Yeah,
1: but the best thing about the list here is they're all doable. So these are all things that, if you just change your mindset a little bit, you can actually do. These are, these, what I would be, I would call these beginner things. So, you know, this is not investing, uh, you know, uh, with big, big, big commercial projects. These are all small things that everyone can do.
0: Yes. <laughs> and, uh, if you guys could do us a favor and please like the video, it really helps us out. There's 170 of you on, so we need to get those likes up there. Also, I'm going to be hosting a webinar on January 19th on how to budget your money. And it is up this week. I think last week it wasn't up yet. So it's chemmacquarie.com forward slash webinar because there's no way you're going to be able to invest in real estate unless you know how to budget. Definitely. <laughs> All right. So let's start. What is the number one thing
1: we have So the first one we've talked about before, it's duplex, house hacking. And uh, let's talk a little bit about what this is. Uh, So the the first thing is house hacking. It doesn't have to be a duplex. But we talk about this a lot. So think about this. Uh, uh, Picture a two units duplex, 300 grand. Okay, you find it could be anywhere USA it doesn't really matter where, but obviously you want to make sure that one side is rented and you live in the other side. That's what house hacking is. So a mortgage on a $300,000 uh, investment or home is about uh, $1,264 a month at a 3% interest rate. So that's $1,264. And then, of course, you have insurance and you have Property taxes and you have maintenance and some other HOAs. things. Yes, so potentially HOAs, but not always HOAs. But there are other costs. So let's just say those are three or four hundred dollars more. So that puts you at let's say sixteen hundred bucks. That's your number. So what the other what you have to be able to do, of course, is rent one of those sides for north of that. So let's say if you can rent one side for two grand and that means that you bought a, a piece of real estate and you're renting out one side and your payments completely covered.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be a, a duplex as you said, you know, you can buy a three bedroom house and if you can rent out two of the bedrooms and live in one, that's house hacking as well.
1: Well, one of your rentals mm-hmm. is a two bedroom home and what's the rent? 2500?
0: Um yeah, 2600.
1: 2600. Okay. So guys, this is very doable. So, you know, the, the numbers here are in the sixteen seventeen hundred dollars 1700 a month range all in. Now, obviously, some of it's going to matter how much you put down. Some of it's going to matter on your interest rate and all that. But house hacking is a great way. And if you don't have the money, that's okay because what you need is the deal. And then you can find the money. And there are a lot, a lot, a lot of ways to, to get Fifty, sixty thousand dollars.
0: Plus, I think people forget sometimes. You know, there is first buyer home uh, mortgages, so you can walk away with a home by only putting down yeah. you know 3-5% yep. so people think they always need a 20% yep. down deal and if it's your first time buying a home you do not you need to look and see what kind of mortgages you can get and how much uh, percentage wise you would have to put down
1: yeah and if, if you're going to go on the internet and spend an hour on this then you're going to be very disappointed <laughs> so this is something that you have to go out I like like uh, we actually found uh, my son uh, lives in a cool little neighborhood and we found a house right Near his, it's a two bedroom house, yeah, which there aren't Patio very many home, of. yep, yeah. And we, uh, I'm like, let's go buy that one just because you know, we're driving around and uh, uh it was rented already, I'm mean, sorry, sold. sold already, so. Uh, Danielle talked to the realtor and said, if there's any others that come up in this area and then we had one other area, please let us know. So now we're on her list. And so these are things that happen slowly.
0: You have to be patient. This isn't something you're going to find today. You need to work with a realtor, a good realtor and keep your eyes open when you're driving around. If you see something interesting, write it down, but it should be your goal for this year to find something. This is
1: OPT guys. This is other people's time. So, Go find people that can go find you these houses or these duplexes and and get on all of their lists. Tell them exactly what you're looking for. I'm looking for a duplex across from this university. I'm looking for a duplex across or in the neighborhood around this school. I'm looking for a duplex across from this employer. Figure it out. Figure out the numbers, figure out the rents are, and then just give them the parameters. That's what you do first. And it's going to take time. It could take months. It could take a year. Remember, the very first deal that Robert Kim Kiyosaki did, the very first one, her goal was to buy one house in one year. That was it. And she did it. And then the next year, she bought three. So, you, you know, it just... Make it a goal. You guys can do this. And don't worry about the money. If, if you're concerned about where to get the down payment, which I completely understand, um, then you need to take a look at some of the other videos because I have a lot, a lot of information about how to get the capital for these things. Definitely. Definitely.
0: <laughs> okay. Number two is twofold. Either buy a single family home or if you already own a single family home, you need to look at this. Is it marked for an A-D-U?
1: Yeah, which is Accessible Dwelling Unit. So this is another great one. So there's a young man in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, that I met, and he asked me to coffee, and I was uh, walking my dog, and uh, I met with him and his parents, and this is exactly what he did. He bought a home, and it had a, a unit uh, in the garage. Now, luckily, this had a detached garage, and he had to do a little bit of work, but that's an A-D-U. That's an S- accessible dwelling unit. It could be, I've known people that have done them downstairs in the basements. I've known people that have done them in the upstairs. So essentially, it's almost like, like house hacking, but a little bit different.
0: Yeah, you basically have an apartment or you know some kind of dwelling structure on your property that can be used as a secondary living space.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of Airbnbs that have done this. So people that own something, let's say, and then they add on to it and they're renting it. You can go all over uh, uh, Airbnb right now and see where people have turned, they've converted... They've converted um, barns and all kinds of things uh, on their property. We have a very good friend in Malibu who actually built an amazing home, and they built an ADU on their property, and um, and they're renting it for God, some crazy number like six or seven hundred a night.
0: Yeah, and you know what's wild is a lot of you that um, own a home might ha- have the ability to put on an additional dwelling unit, yep. and you don't even know. And then also, if you're looking to buy a single family home, and you're saying I don't know if the numbers make sense, if it's a, if you're zoned to have an additional dwelling unit on the property, that would that could make the numbers yeah, make sense. That's
1: true. If you have a lot of land, and sometimes not even you don't even need a lot of land, but these ADUs are big. I have a friend that does it in Seattle. And um, he bought a, a, a couple acres and his house is in one spot and he's got what was a garage, it is a garage, a garage in the ADU. So you can start to look again now going back to your search with your realtor, you know, tell them this is what you're looking for. You're looking for land that can that can do that extra thing because you can buy the can buy the house and then build the structure or build something part of the structure or another structure or convert or remodel or whatever an existing structure. So um, most definitely.
0: (laughs) So, the third one is great for those of you that don't have enough money to buy a house or a property yet, but you're trying to save money to do so.
1: So, you did, your friends did this in Austin.
0: Yep, yep, yep which is running out an additional room in your apartment. Yeah. So, if you rent a two or three bedroom apartment and you see what that number is, then see what you can get each night for the other, you know, the other bedroom or, you know, monthly, yep. I mean.
1: Now, yeah, this is basically a roommate situation. It's a
0: roommate situation, <laughs> but you're charging them maybe more than half half because the lease you know you're taking responsibility for the lease yeah
1: yeah we were just talking to somebody the other day and they um the guy bought as was in scottsdale Uh, he had a four-bedroom house and that he bought and each of his daughters had each of the bedrooms rented at a thousand each. Wasn't it?
0: I think so. Yeah. A mm-hmm. thousand
1: bucks each. In now Scotland. That's a lot, mm-hmm. but that's $3,000 of income. And this is not a, like a crazy good house. No,
0: it's, no, no. It's just your, it's typical your normal older home. Rambler yeah.
1: one story home with a pool. But the, regardless, uh, you know, th- these are real options. Now, I did this for my kids when they were in college. So you think about, you know, the dorm expenses and all that kind of stuff. So, so those of you who are, um, you know, your kids are got about ready to get to college. Go look for an investment you know, in around the university areas and you know, like a three to four or even five bedroom home and then put your kid in charge. would be a great way for them to teach them and then have them keep the other the bedrooms rented with their friends. Now, you know, that's a different scenario. You got probably get some good damage deposits, <laughs> but you get the point. This is a great way to to figure out these roommate situations. My sister did this in um, north of Seattle in an area called Everett where, uh, it was called, I think she called it room share where everybody gets a room and then they can, uh, there's some issues you have to handle with, with the common space because not everybody knows everybody, but the, there are a lot of people specifically that my sister told me that, that are, um, that don't want to live in hotels. Yeah. And they don't want to be in Airbnbs either. So they just want a place to put their stuff while they're coming to town once a week, let's say, or twice a week or whatever it might be. And so you can find those people. You can find people that are working and are just trying to save money. So this is a great way for for you guys to take something that maybe, uh, you know, you have a lot of vacant rooms if you're comfortable, obviously. Uh, with that,
0: right, and you do all the different, you know, background checks and all that good stuff, just like you would, you know, running out to anybody. Yep. So number four is also very interesting, and we've had some people on the chat already mention it, and it's kind of a newer thing, but I think it could possibly gain some traction. And that's um, rent out your storage space in your garage or your attic. So there are apps. I don't know if Airbnb does it, but apps like Stash and things like that where you can make $50 to it looks like about $400 a month for basic attic or garage space yep. by just running
1: it out. And that's S-T-A-C-H-E. Now, I think this is really an interesting one. Uh, you guys, so I, I always like to do some kind of cleaning at the end of the year. And so I, I was out, my assistant actually went out and looked for these uh, uh, storage units for me. You know, I said, Hey, I need to, I, I just want to move. I'm talking about Halloween stuff and Christmas stuff. It's just, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. It just clutters the garage. So she came back and we're, we're talking like three to $400 a month for these places. Yep. So now this is a, a facility, these are not huge spaces by the way, but I had I actually needed two, so I'm like, geez, all of a sudden I'm like close to 700 to 800 dollars a month just to store stuff. So, this is really something, guys. And, and um, you, you know, I this is not a business that we're in, but I do know people are doing this. So, if you guys have a, um, like a big warehouse or maybe or even
0: a, a small a attic big
1: garage. I know uh, my friends have airplane hangers they actually rent out some of their space for guys that have cars and toys and things like that. And, um, uh, there's all kinds of ways that all kinds of things people store that you can, that you can help them with. I, I had a home in Idaho and my friend had a very nice car and he, uh, want, and he wanted to store it in my garage, uh, over, uh, you know, when he left for like six months and he just paid me for that. So, uh, and I wasn't even looking, he just asked me cause I had a four car garage and and so there are lots of ways to make little bits of money here guys for motorcycles for boats for cars for just things and and you'd be very 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 surprised uh, at um, at the at the little side money that you can make Defin- definitely
0: definitely <laughs> 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 all right so the next one um is for people that you know have money for an investment property or don't or don't, but it's purchase or rental in Arizona, Texas and North Carolina or Florida. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about why these are the markets. And, and you guys know, I'm going to be talking a lot about this in the future. So there's a lot of conflicting data around where everybody's going and why and rent growth and you know, migration patterns, and all that stuff. And, and uh, by the way, the, it's not necessarily conflicting. It's just different. Different people report different things based on the data that they have. But here's. Here are facts. In 2021, Arizona added 98,000 people. Texas added 310,000 people. North Carolina added 93,000 people. And Florida added 211,000 people. Okay. Those are the numbers. They're all over the Internet. Just go look at this. Now, I'm not talking about percentage of population growth. I'm not talking about anything else other than real people moving there. Now, of course, these people are retired. They're young. They're displaced. They're they intentionally move there for whatever reason. So there's all kinds of reasons that people are moving to these spots but they are the four top spots from a population growth standpoint. And what that does is that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the resources of the area on the supply. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we have is we have a lot of people moving into these four states right now and there's others on the list and it's putting pressure on on the existing supply and grow and making rents go up, making occupancies go down. And, and of course, if you guys are finding it's harder to get like things like dinner reservations and your and the, and there's more traffic on the roads and it's harder to get into places, even Scottsdale, which is where we're at never before. And I've been here over 20 years. Have I ever had to book a restaurant a, a week in advance to go eat somewhere because it's so full. Uh, Arizona and by the way Arizona is one of the lower ones on the list Florida and Texas which are obviously big um, have almost twice and three times as many so people are moving and they're uh, making decisions with their feet yes and and you just need to be in those spots it's good it's putting that's why I'm buying in Houston and Austin guys as you know
0: and you're looking to potentially buy in Florida
1: I am. Yeah. Yeah. We had our COO down there two weeks ago meeting with brokers. And, and so we're definitely looking at Florida, but those are the markets you want to be in. You don't want to be a pioneer. You don't want to catch a falling knife. You don't want to buy something. I just, I just left. I had, um, I had somebody. Uh, I'm getting deals. I don't know about you guys from Seattle, from from Portland, and all over California right now. And, and I, it scares me to death because I don't know. Obviously, what's happening in those markets right now? People are uh, moving out a lot of, in a lot of cases. And, and uh, don't forget, real estate serves the needs of people. Period. In every way, that's industrial. That's retail. That's commercial, that's that's multifamily, that's that's single family, all that. You need people for all that to work. So if if the if the number of people are going down in a, in a market and you're trying to go in and buy, um, be careful. Yes.
0: And Turnbuckle had a good idea. He said his dad owns a bunch of land, so he rents out his land to construction companies yeah. to park their vehicles.
1: I've had that. Yeah, yeah. my friends did that too. That's, yeah, so um, I have a very good friend that bought, a piece of land in Sedona had an old hotel on it and, uh, and he's getting it ready to redevelop it. So one of the first things he did was he took down the hotel cause it was nasty and it's about, a couple acres. So ADOT, which is the Arizona department of transportation <laughs> rented it from him. I drove by and I am like, Alex, like, this is cool. He's like, Oh, ADOT just gave me a big money because they don't have any place to park their vehicles. So these kinds of things do happen. I have a lot of friends that have also done this and it's, it's, it's a, it's a really, really a, a, a great way. I have a friend in Idaho that if you've ever heard of uh Wagyu, you know, snake river or is it snake? Yeah. Snake river uh, beef. Uh, he bought land and he put, um, and, and, and they, they, that, company's growing so fast. He ended up, uh, they're paying him per, per month per, uh, per cow. Oh. so <laughs> he's like i've never and he only bought like 75 acres but he's got now all these cows on there and somebody again needed a place to put them so uh the, those are also great ideas he he said i go <laughs> i go here you're, you're not a, any kind of a farmer he's like i've never even seen the cows <laughs> so uh it, you know there is a way guys we have i have uh, uh 200 acres in idaho that i've owned for 20 years ross and i and we actually um um grow hay on it. And we, we, um, uh, sell the hay. Yeah. So there are ways to monetize land too. And that's just one great example.
0: Jose said he added one of his houses in North Carolina or added to his uh, real estate. And then Valley had a good idea. He said, you know, he's seen people rent out boat slips too. So if yeah. you have a boat slip, um, in a good area, yeah. you can rent that out per season or, you know, per so week I, yeah. or whatever. So I
1: have a boat, I just sold a boat slip in, uh, on the Willamette river in Portland because, um, I had it for like 20 years and, uh, we used to, I used to rent it out. Also, I have one on Lake Coeur d'Alene and, um, the, uh, I bought this slip ah oh boy 6 7 years ago for like nothing 60 grand I think and you know it it rents for like 2500 3000 a month because it's a 35 foot slip so it does depend on the size and um uh you know when I uh, at one day I in fact I had a lot of people trying to buy it remember last last summer mm-hmm. and uh because it's hard as as a market grows especially around a lake then those kinds of things become, uh, commodities. There's, there's not as, there's not as many for sale. And when they do get sale, they get, they get, they get snapped up really well. You can definitely monetize those. I have friends that, um, they actually, uh, I went and looked the other day in that same marina where I'm at, there's only 200 slips. Somebody put a houseboat in there, they bought a houseboat, which it looked to me like maybe the houseboat was maybe a hundred grand. So they had to slip. They stuck the houseboat in there and they're airbnb being it and renting it out full time for the month. So they're, they're charging big numbers for like July and August, which are the nicest area times of the year. So people are, people are renting out. If you go on Airbnb right now, you can actually rent, um, a, um, <laughs> you can rent a boat and yeah. you can sleep on a boat. So this, these are all great ideas. It's
0: all about just being creative. Uh, And that brings us to number six, which is look for billboards. So billboards are not very common in a lot of areas any longer, but there is a lot of money in billboards. Yeah. And there's times when people are sitting on a billboard that might be on their land that they don't actually understand what the billboard's worth, which is what happened to you, which you can make a bunch of money that way.
1: I bought three. I own two left. Uh, I have two left and I own two left and uh, sold one to um a the uh, you know the biggest billboard company they they were trying to find it, but here's the other thing when I bought the last one, the revenue for it was only five grand a year, so it was sitting on this piece of land, and I just called my friend and i and he and, and i um uh, billboards uh they they get they the 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 the, the price of the the ad is reflective based on the car count for the road. So if a billboard is sitting in rural you know, America, you're probably not going to get a lot for that per month. But if it's on a main thoroughfare or maybe in somewhere where you can see it from a highway or something like that, it's going to, the, the price per ad is going to go up. Now I don't off the top of my head, have all these for you, but there are people that put the ads on there. So just go at the bottom of the billboard. There's a name of a management company, call them, find out how much it would be. You'll kind of get an I- idea of what the rates are. And um, the other thing that uh, people don't re- um, think about a lot of times, in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: When you're driving around an urban area, let's say downtown, anywhere, you know those big buildings, especially the old ones, where you have the, the, the names of the, the um the, the companies or, or in, now you're starting to see more and more people paint on the side of the buildings or even billboards on the sides of buildings. So if you old, own some of these old buildings, there are opportunities, especially in, in some of the more rural areas for you to actually put something up and create some advertising. It doesn't just have to be for your particular building. And it might be something that you can get. um, You know, you can actually create. So don't forget. Or I have a, my attorney, one of my attorneys, he said that he has a bunch of land on the way to um, the grand Canyon. And it it was kind of something that got passed down in his family. And so he called me up as he saw one of our billboard shows. And, um, and I'm helping him Uh, put actual billboards on, on a piece of land that he already owns. So there are, these are really interesting ways. And obviously that's, there's a lot to that. There's zoning issues and you got to pay for the actual billboard itself. But at the end of the day, guys, it's, it's, it's a great, it's something to think about. And what we're trying to do to solve here is reoccurring monthly revenue.
0: Yeah. And like with that billboard that you found that was only earning $5,000 a month, the person that was sitting on it didn't understand the worth of the billboard. And it was 5,000 a year. I'm sorry, 5,000. Yes, that's
1: right. They were, they owned the land and, and uh, so I bought the land and the billboard was secondary and uh, then I just made the billboard I think you guys know it now produces uh, north of 3,000 uh, net a month
0: so Jamie from YouTube wants to know why you would sell the, s- the boat slip if it was cash
1: flowing I uh, in the one in uh, Oregon I sold because of what was going on in Portland I don't want to get political. But it's rough up there right now, guys, with the funding of the police and the homelessness and the crime and all that. And I sold my property up there, my condo, that was rented to the same. St- I had one right on the river. I actually condoed the whole project. So it was originally the model. And uh, I had a renter in there. It was, uh, was in there nine years. Yeah. And I sold it. And she didn't want the the um, the boat slip. So I had... No, I had a boat slip in Portland, uh, and I don't, it didn't tether to anything anymore because the boat slip was different than the, than the, uh, property, than the property. So that's why I just, it was a random boat slip in the middle of Portland, Oregon. I don't find myself going up there anymore. And, um, so might as well sell it so somebody else can use it and make money on it.
0: Yep. And make sure you guys that you're watching, you like our video. It really helps us out. Also, make sure that you register for the webinar. I'm going to be teaching on January 19th on how to budget your money because you can't get started in real estate if you are not budgeted and have some money saved. So that's com forward slash webinar. Oh. So, the well, actually, before we get to the last one, Franny is an MC Companies alum Thank and you. she wants to know what can a single mom do to create passive income while working full time?
1: Wow. So that's really... uh, we need obviously way more information. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know um, where you live, what yeah. your situation is, how much time you have. Well, but a
0: lot of these things she can implement. If she has an extra bedroom, she could Airbnb or rent it. Yeah. If she has extra storage space, you know, you could, you know, use that. If she's in an, even in an apartment and has an extra bedroom, she could rent that. So there's a lot of real estate place she could. There make. are.
1: And and the other thing is I would encourage you to look at these, some of these online businesses like, like, uh, Danielle's, created a private label, um, um, you know, stuff for your skin, right? Skincare line, skincare line, sorry. So I got the look, I don't know if you guys saw that, but, uh, so I got the skincare line. She, she did a private label skincare line and, and, um, you know, so she buys it for X and, and sells it for Y. So there are ways to do things. Yeah, depending on, uh, you know, some of the and obviously uh, staying at home uh, with your child is by far the biggest priority. So there are lots and lots and lots and lots of ways to do side hustles online as well.
0: So the last one that we have that's a great idea is try to find somewhere if you're a renter looking to get your first property where you can rent to own a home.
1: Yeah. So this seems rather obvious guys, but there's, uh, I have a lot of friends that have done this. They don't have the down payments, but they have, they, they have the monthly rent and there are lots of owners that will work with you and let you, um, rent to own. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a lot on this topic. I did a whole video on it. Do your research here. You have to have the right agreement. You want to make sure that it's all buttoned up, but essentially, Part of your rent goes to rent and part of it goes to home ownership over a long period of time. And you really got to make sure that the agreements are are tight on, on this. But there's a lot of a lot of people. This is how a lot of people get into homes.
0: Well, and just ask your landlord. You know, we know a lot of people that, you know, a lot of their scrappy beginning stories. They just ask your landlord, hey, can I buy this from you? Can I rent to own, you know, rent to own this property? And because you don't know what your landlord's thinking, they might be considering selling and you don't have any idea. They might tell you no, you know, but it's worth asking.
1: Yeah. And and in a lot of cases, uh, I've done this to uh, a renter once. Uh, I was like, yeah, well I can save on commissions and I I got somebody in there that's treating the place. Great. I, I I had a relationship with them over him and his wife over a long period of time. I liked them. They maintained the property really, really well. They were easy to work with. And so all that came back when, when we sat down and he said, Hey, what would it take to buy this? And, and so there are, there are ways to do this and there are people that will do this. I I think like anything, you're going to get a lot of no's. So don't get discouraged from the no's. Just focus on the yeses. Focus on the ones that say yes. There's a lot of them.
0: Exactly. So now we're going to move into our premium questions. Make sure you guys register for premium. Just go to kemmacquery.com forward slash premium using the code premium live. The guys are going to put that on the um, board for you and you get seven days free. We make sure we answer uh, almost all of our premium questions. So head on over there and sign up. Um, Our first one is from Chad. We have some good ones today. First one's from Chad. It says, as the market is evolving, should my buying criteria also evolve? For example, in the past, I would have a minimum cash-on-cash return and cash flow target. As the market price increases, my cash-on-cash return and cash flow are shrinking. Should I be waiting on the sidelines for a correction?
1: This is a very good question, Chad. So, it's a double-edged sword. If you lower your criteria too much then you potentially might be taking on too much risk. So what we've done is back 10 years ago, we used to try to solve to a 7% cash on cash return. That was our number. And that was after a lot of research and a lot of deals. Now we're actually solving to a five. So now that's a five with a forced equity play. In other words, a five that can grow to a seven or eight or a nine, let's say. So I'm always looking for that forced equity. So I'll buy something even at a three, let's say, even if it just cash flows a little bit, if it has a lot of potential. But, um, but I do think times are different. You, you know, prices are up. And unfortunately, we might be coming into an environment where we're having higher interest rates too. we're definitely going to have higher energy costs and higher expenses uh, associated with maintaining. So so those are all things that are going to hit us this year and next. So uh, those are all going to reduce your returns. It's a very, very good point. And I don't know that I've ever tried to time a crash. I always try to solve. To the cash flow itself. So if that still works for you, and you have a lot, uh, you can pay less. Or I'm sorry, you you can you can pay more if there's upside somehow. But if you're just waiting and completely tethered to the market, whether it's going up or down, then it's probably not a great strategy. You might want to hold off.
0: Right. The the biggest thing is is it cash flowing?
1: Yes, you know, you
0: don't need you're not going to cash flow as much now as you used to, you know, three years ago. But that doesn't mean you're not going to in the future once you lock in that
1: rate. Definitely.
0: All right. Um, D said, I've heard you say you prefer not to sell, but instead refi to get the equity out. I have some older assets from the 60s and 80s in Dallas. Now seems like a good time to sell and trade up to post-2000 construction because everything seems to be trading at a four cap. The newer stuff seems to be a better inflation hedge due to less maintenance. What are your thoughts?
1: Wow. A lot in there, Dee. This is a (sighs) great question. Now, First of all, there's no questions that um, anything built in the 60s or 80s is going to have more maintenance than something that's new. No question doesn't necessarily mean that's a better hedge. It just means that there's more maintenance, so it might be better cash flow. But at the end of the day, I think the we're we're looking at an affordability issue here. So when you upgrade to these new, you know, let's say newer products, you're going to be paying more. Your your mortgage is going to be more and your rents are going to be more. And you're right. It's nicer. It's going to be more. But I think that these '60s and '80s properties that you have are going to probably be really nice, affordable place for you moving into the next three or four years. I do, and and that's because you bought them probably pretty well, and the rents are lower because the, you can afford to be. But just make sure that if they are higher on the maintenance, that you have reserves and all those kinds of things, and you bake it into the rent. So it's true that older properties are going to cost more money to operate than the newer properties, but not necessarily on the property tax, not necessarily on the insurance, but sometimes they can be. So, uh, you know, don't forget about that. You, you know, some of the newer pro- newer property taxes are generally based on the value. So if you have something that was built in the seventies with a lower value, you might be getting a, quite a bit of savings there. So, um, you know, you need to look at the whole picture, not just the fact that you want to upgrade. So, um, and I'm speaking from experience here cause my partner Ross and I have looked at this. We've, we've looked at our stuff. We don't have very much property that we own from the eighties, but if you think about this, this is a kind of a remarkable, thing that if you bought something in the eighties, it could be 40 years old, right? I mean, eighties, I mean, eighties just seemed like they were yesterday, but 40 years old, these, these, some of these properties. And so, um, they're not, uh, so what I would do if I were you is I would take a look again, uh, at the rent. If, if, if you have a brand new property versus one that was built in the eighties and they're next to each other and the eighties property is well maintained, You're definitely going to be lower on the rent side, but you can actually, you can actually use that property because now you have something in the market that's significantly higher and you can say, well, they're getting, let's say 3000 at the new property, you might be able to get 2200, 2300, 2400, uh, which is potentially much higher than you would have if you didn't have the new one there. So if I were you, I would draft underneath the older one or the, the newer one and, and keep those properties uh, at least in the future. Make sure you have, um, and you just harvest those, harvest the cash out of those and, um, and, and put low, low interest debt on.
0: Yeah. Plus just because you have nicer properties, you know, if you're, if you have something that cash flows, you're always risking going into something else that you think is going to be better. But secondly is what I found out is the more people are paying in rent, the bigger pains in the butts they are. And the more, maintenance it can be because can, of that reason it, it
1: can be and those people are uh, oftentimes you know they have options to go buy homes and stuff so it, you know and, and, and not to say that um you know your 60s and i don't know what your 60s and 80s are but generally if somebody's paying a lot of money for for a new property in in rent uh typically they're trying to buy their own house that's been my experience
0: yep um, Brittany is asking from premium. Do you think it's a good idea to manage your own property?
1: Yes, I do. I obviously manage mine. As you guys know, we have 250 people in, in the company and our management company right now. And the, the, the big issue is do you know how and uh, do you have the time? So if you don't know how and don't have the time, then the answer is no. But and if you want to learn, then it is, it's not as simple as collecting rent like I thought it was when I first got into the business. So there's a lot to property management. And, and I, I think one of the mistakes people make is they minimize it as if it's literally just collecting rent from a tenant. There's, there's, a, there's a bit to it, just like anything. And so um, not to say that you shouldn't, but if you don't know how, you need to find people in your market that can teach you And it's not super complicated, but uh, if you have the time, I would definitely do it because it's worth when you, you'll start to learn a lot.
0: You learn so much. Yeah.
1: You learn a lot. I mean, imagine, haven't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know way more, you know, the past few years than I would have when I first started out. It can be a pain in the butt at times, but I just think from what I've learned that I wouldn't do it any differently.
1: Yeah, but you did say that now that you're three. If once you get to a certain number, you might have to hire a property
0: manager. Yeah, yeah. When, when I get to four or five, I'm definitely going to have to hire a property manager.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, there's actually a really good question here on YouTube that I'm going to challenge you sure, with Sure, okay, bit. let's go. As a hard money lender mm-hmm. making 12 to 15% cash on cash, assuming a 9% net with taxes, why would I invest in multifamily syndication for five to six with depreciation?
1: Tax next.
0: Well, you want to explain that a little more? Sure.
1: I'm just messing with you. (laughs) So assuming you're right, I'm not challenging that you aren't, but, but, um, basically what you're saying is you're getting a four or 5% spread, uh, which is hopefully, um, backed up with collateral. Um, there are costs and overhead and all that stuff in order to get that. And essentially you're just, um, making tips, high paid commission stuff. That's all it is. You're lending money, getting it back just like any lender. Now they're wrong with that. But um it's not going to be a long-term cash flow uh scenario. You're always going to have to lend. Let's just put it that way. And it, you know um there's, again, it's transactional. So if you're young, you know, mine, you know, knock yourself out, man. You're gonna be yeah, you know, I'm sure you're making a lot of money doing it. It's not a good long term strategy. You're not getting tax benefits. You're paying capital gains on all, and um and and tax on, on all of that, on all those transactions. And um what I'm doing is I'm investing, I'm getting cash flow, I'm getting depreciation, I'm getting all the the tax benefits that I am from from real estate itself, and I'm not paying tax. So that's the difference. And you have to calculate that. And in addition to that, my tenants are paying down my mortgage each and every month. So it's a great question. So it just depends on what you want to do. Do you want to work this hard in 10 years? If you do knock yourself out, but I did this. And then after 10 years, I decided to buy. And now we have millions of dollars a month coming in tax free and, um, and uh, I'm not actually. I don't have to do any deals at all. I don't have to lend any money. I don't have to buy anything. I don't have to sell anything. And I'm doing it because I want. So it's a different strategy. It's a capital gains versus cash flow strategy. That's all it is.
0: Yep, and that goes for flipping too. It's the same. So Conrad from premium says I'm currently buying multifamily buildings on five to seven year loans with balloons and I would like to get them longer year loans. Is it possible to get 15, 20 or 30 year loans on investment property or should I stay with what I have and refinance every five years?
1: Yeah, the answer is yes. I I for sure you can get longer term loans. They're out there all over the place. And there's nothing wrong with a balloon either, but But there
0: is something wrong there, with the balloon. Well, it's not great. Well,
1: it depends on, you know, we we get uh we get these kinds of uh, loans. You what you do is you use the loan for what you're trying to do. So, so we use a balloon or let's say even a bridge which is typically a little higher for something that's turned or that we're turning around. So, if if let's say we're trying to buy a property like the deal we just bought in Austin, Texas, uh, I think we paid around eighty million for it. It's a fifty million dollar value add. So, obviously, we don't want <laughs> fixed long term debt on that because there's prepayments and yield maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So, at the end of the day, I do believe that's going to be worth one twenty, one thirty. Now. And for all the for all you trolls out there, that's four hundred and eleven dollars a month times four hundred fifty five units at a four cap. Just do the math. So why would I put long term debt on it when I can do a short term bridge, fix the property, get everyone up and raise the rent on four hundred fifty five people? And then go back and put permanent debt on later. Now I'm harvesting, I'm almost actually getting back the original down payment for off of the 80. So um it's the same thing. And what you're looking for is you're looking for that uh short you use short term money for short term needs and you use long term money for long term needs. So uh you have to base it based on your hold periods and what you're doing and all those kinds of things. But they're definitely out there. Um and and I think that um um, you just need to look a little bit harder and you'll find especially if they're cash flowing and you got a lot of equity.
0: So our next question is from Damon. Damon. He said, you mentioned that large banks require you to fit into their box for a conventional loan. If you're self-employed, would it make sense to bank with a credit union so they know your income history and ability to repay?
1: Sure. So Damon, you're probably talking about a single family house, which is okay. So, um, and let me explain the difference. If you're buying a single-family house, the lender, whoever it is—credit union, bank, individual—like that, just uh, uh, weighed in a little bit ago. They're looking at the collateral. They're looking at uh, that as the payment back. So they're looking at your credit score and your uh, your ability to pay that back. This is pretty common for um, a homeowner. On a on an investment side, it's very different that you're, they're looking at, um, the business actually. So, um, yes, credit unions can often, uh, have a great, it's They're great. I, I, I use credit unions myself. My son just used a credit union for stuff.
0: When someone has used to be a banker, you know, I used to work for a big bank back in the day. Um, credit unions are, do have more flexibility? So if they get to know you and they like you and they feel like you're a solid person, they do have the flexibility to give you loans yes. that a big bank can't. Yeah. So it is while they can be inconvenient at times. So maybe you want to have both. It is good to have a credit union if you're a small business owner.
1: It, it might surprise you guys to know. I probably have uh, at least a dozen banks, probably more that we work with. So I know for sure we have at least a 100 accounts at Wells Fargo. We have a sure 100 accounts at at national bank, we use different banks, different credit unions for different needs, for different things. So you you have to look at that um, just like you would anything. You don't want to be all in with a bank. You want to have a relationship with a bank. You want to build a relationship with a bank, but or a credit union or even a hard money lender. So those are relationships and that you should nurture them and use them um, as needed, but just know that they all come with a different sets of criteria, um, and, um, different terms, you know, especially on the hard money side. So, you know, there are, there are things that they want in return.
0: So if you're still watching, please like our video and subscribe. It really helps us out. We have 155 likes, so let's get it over 200 and I would appreciate it personally. Thank you guys. (laughs) Um, Arium from premium says I have an LLC for my business that's dedicated to remodeling cabinets and countertops. It was opened in 2020 and I have a good credit history. My question is, does my LLC work for buying my first investment property?
1: No, no. So here's the thing. Um, It's a good question. First of all, that's your business. That's where you make your livelihood you would not want to compromise that with a piece of real estate for some reason. So, and the bank will, they'll give you money for your business in your LLC. The LLC is more about asset protection than loans. So what you're trying to do is you want to, let's say you buy a piece of real estate, You want your business and your real estate in two different LLCs that way. If something happens in your business, let's say somebody that works for you gets injured, then they would probably sue the LLC, the business and you personally. And if your if your property was inside of there, then they would have access to the equity and all that stuff in there too. So what you want is you want two separate LLCs separated so that if that unfortunately does happen, then they're protected. So it's more for asset protection. So the loan you would go out and get personally in your name and then you would protect it with an LLC. Right, and
0: everything. It has to all be separate so the only thing that runs through your llc account at the bank would be your stuff for your rental yes. and then your business or your
1: business yeah yep. they would be very different so for my i have a lot of businesses as you guys know each one has its own llc each one has its own bank account each one has its profit and losses all those kinds of things and then when i go in to the bank i have a financial statement That shows all those different LLCs and how they all roll up from a cash standpoint, from a value standpoint, all of those things. So that's how you do it. You want to keep stacking those businesses over here, all the side income over here, and then you would use that to borrow.
0: Our next question comes from Steve from premium. He said, Ken, I recently purchased a 10 unit that has a huge value add component to it. One of the things I'm doing is bringing in high speed internet from a local provider. I'm buying it at a bulk rate for the entire building, then selling it to the residents individually. Do you recommend this? Yeah. So (laughs) yes or no,
1: (laughs) I have done this before. It's turned out and just being honest to be a, a bit of a disaster and I'll tell you why. Um, this is a very common there's there in each building. They have what's called a demarcation room. And what a demarcation room is, is it's a dedicated room for all the networking and all the cable and all that stuff, the phone, all that stuff is typically in a room I don't know if you have that at your place, but what the cable companies what the high speed internet companies, what the phone companies all want is they want to sell you one price. And they give you that. And this might be a good deal for you, but I'm going to tell you some of the stories, some of the problems we've had. So let's say they give it to you for $20 a month. So now you have 10 times 20. You have a fixed number at 200. And you now have to charge that back at 35 or 40. It can work, especially on a 10 unit. It might work. But what happens on some of these bigger properties is they, the, the, the it's a great deal because the cable company hedges their number. So they're basically saying you give us one and then we'll, you can charge it back. We don't care if you collect it. We don't care if it's vacant. We don't care about anything. So essentially you have this monthly reoccurring expense to the company And then you have to collect it back. So you just have to make a good business decision on what that is. And if the margins are enough, because uh, you will have vacancy. Let's say you have one vacant for one month, you're paying that period. It's an expense to you (laughs) until you get somebody in there to collect it. Um, The other thing is, is if you bake it into your rent, um, sometimes that can be harder to rent. So let's say let's just let's use fifty dollars as an example. Let's say you have three places on the same block that are a thousand dollars each. If yours is a thousand fifty, because you include high speed internet, it's going to be tougher for you. People are going to you, it's perception. People are going to go rent at a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars here, because yours is one fifty, and then it's up to you to say, um, well, mine includes high speed internet. They may or may not see the value
0: yeah and they may or not, may not want that you know I don't have you know when I had my own place I didn't have cable I did have high speed internet but I have friends that don't they just work off of their hotspot on their phone and you know they're fine with that so yeah. you're taking you know those people out that maybe just don't even want oh. it plus it's another thing you have to, to correct if their cable or internet isn't working well they're going to be calling oh. you and not the, yeah, the internet point. company oh this you know? is another
1: point I forgot about this so we, we decided to deal with a big cable company and and, and um, you know uh, they were big. They were the local cable provider, but all these little guys are coming in and offering. And you guys know you got, now today you got Hulu, you got Netflix, you got prime, you got everybody's Apple. They're all trying to get your stuff. So the minute you commit to something and uh, the, um, let's say the service improves a year later and the company you're with doesn't now all of a sudden it becomes a liability because you're in this long-term contract. So we had this situation with cable where you know people were going, you know, I get more channels over here. <laughs> I'm like, so I'm fighting with this company. Say they're saying, well, our basic package is eight channels, let's say as an example. So you have to look at all of that, not just the upfront and what you're going to make. You have to make sure that, that, um they' and I don't know how you do this but you have to make sure that they put a whole bunch of money back into the infrastructure so that it's always the the very best option for your resident and to your point not all of them want to pay for it
0: all right. Um, so that is going to wrap up our show today. Make sure you check out uh, my webinar on January 19th on how to budget. Ken forward slash webinar. And you guys make sure you take action on this stuff. 2022 is your year. No matter where you're at, you can be doing something to be saving money or working towards your first um, property. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. See you guys next Monday.
1: Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Strategies Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and let us know what you thought of today's episode. Want to take the next step as a real estate investor? Join our free community and gain access to dozens of beginner courses, blogs, weekly insider updates, and much more. Visit kenmcleroy.com slash podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.